From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. Find us wherever you get your podcast to. And we're going back to a story that we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast. In fact, two full episodes have been devoted to it because I think it's a story that we're not talking about enough in this community. And that's one of the things that we do here. And that story is about the death of Justin Barassa. And you may remember that Justin Barassa was shot by a London police officer in an alley that's less than a block from the studio that I'm sitting in right now on Richmond Row. Mere meters from here, just the other side of the train tracks. This happened on October 27th, 2021. We'll give you the details on how it's happened, but the key thing that you need to know that's new is that Justin Barras's estate, on behalf of his mother Lorraine and his mother Lorraine, have filed a $3.9 million notice of action against London Police Services Board, former London Police Chief Steve Williams, the current Chief of Police Ty Trong, and two officers who were in the alley with Justin Barassa the night he died. One of those two officers claimed that Justin Barassa choked him for 45 seconds to a minute. There are lengthy explanations on what happened and why I think that the narrative presented by the Special Investigations Unit is flawed uh, on episode 84 of this podcast. That's from the summer of 2022 after the SIU report came out. And episode 120 of this podcast after the London Police Services Board kind of rubber stamped the SIU report and said, yep, everything looks good here. Uh, Despite the fact that I had some objections to that. I had some concerns. Now, I'm not on the London Police Services Board, but let's just say that people there were aware that, hey, maybe what the SIU is selling here doesn't pass the smell test. Put it that way. And if you don't believe me, I'll give you a quick rundown on what happened and you tell me. Justin Barassa, in the very early hours, so just before 4 a.m. on October 27th, 2021, was walking on Richmond in London. He was walking south. Why was he in London? We don't know. Friends and family, not quite sure, but he was in London. He crosses the street from the west side of Richmond to the east side. There are some police officers driving around. And eventually, Justin goes into an alley. A police vehicle goes in after him. And that, for the most part, is all we see on camera. We do see some interaction between him and the police, but nothing violent, nothing out of the ordinary. He's just being talked to. He was, uh, I would say, moved towards a wall in the alley. That's how it's phrased by the SIU, at least to be clear. I have not seen the footage. Eventually... Not long after that happens and everyone goes off camera, Justin Barassa gets shot at very close range. And I want to be clear with what we're talking about here. There are some questionable times on the SIU's report, which you can find. It's online. But to the best of my knowledge and to the best of the SIU's knowledge, at 3.49 and 36 seconds, Justin Barassa was alive. And then... At 3.51 in one second, someone was on the radio, a London police officer, saying a shot had been fired. So in between those two times is 81 seconds or 80 seconds in between those two times. 
those are that's that's rough, but pretty close, we would think, based on what the SIU has put in their own report. Now, as I said, these officers say that Justin Barassa choked one for 45 seconds. One person was choked for 45 seconds to a minute. So let's just say low end, it was 45 seconds. According to these two officers, or at least the one that spoke to the SIU, not the one who shot Justin Barassa in close range where the bullet went through his neck and then down through his back, the other officer says that the following things happen in the roughly, what, 25 to 30 seconds that we have left, the following things occurred. This is directly from the SIU's report. As witness officer one approached with handcuffs in hand, the complainant jerked free from subject officer's hold and ran away from the officers. He had taken several strides when the officers caught up, each grabbing hold of an arm. The three struggled to their feet for a period before the officers brought the complainant to the ground. Witness officer one landed on his front and felt the weight of the other parties collapsing on top of him. His microphone fell loose from his body in the fall. He retrieved it and tried to broadcast what was happening, but there was too much traffic on the air to get through. Soon after, witness officer one experienced what he described as a rear naked chokehold by the complainant. Now that seems like a lot of stuff for 25 seconds, doesn't it? And these are things that I've said on the two previous podcasts about this very case, but I, I think they bear repeating. So maybe it wasn't 25 seconds. Maybe it was 30. Maybe it was 35. That still seems like a lot of stuff for that amount of time, right? We're running away. We're struggling to the ground. There's a bit of a fight. And after all this occurs, of course, someone eventually gets back on the radio, which all of a sudden you can do once again, and says, Justin Barassa, or you know, someone has been shot. Shots have been fired. They don't know his name. They don't know anything about the guy. They may have asked him what his name is, but anything about his history is not something they would have been aware of. You know what didn't happen in that 25 to 30 seconds? No taser was used on Justin Barassa. No baton was used on Justin Barassa. How do we know that? There were no marks on Barassa's body other than the gunshot wound. Now, the SIU's report would say the absence of evidence does not indicate the evidence of absence, I believe, is the drivel that Joseph Martino put into that report. I think that it's pretty clear that if you were hit with a baton, you might have some marks on you. If you were tased, we might know about it. If someone were to pepper spray you, we'd be able to see what was going on with your eyes, even after you got shot. I'm no medical expert. So the other thing that didn't happen in that 25 to 30 seconds is that there were no marks on the neck of witness officer one. Nothing. This officer was examined right after this occurred. There was no bruising. Was there any scraping or any bruising on Barass's arms? No. So if witness officer one was in a chokehold for 45 to seconds to a minute, witness officer one decided not to put up much of a fight against Justin Barassa while waiting for witness the subject officer to come in and help seems like a strange decision from witness officer one to not put up any sort of fight against Justin Barassa that did any damage to his body or the subject officer the one who wound up shooting Barassa to not use any elements of force that were more that were less lethal than the gun so two officers making what I would term a strange decisions there also, as I noted earlier, it was interesting that there was so much radio interference right before the shooting started. 
But then the guy gets shot and all of a sudden everything's crystal clear and you can get, I believe, six police cruisers right to that alley seconds after the shooting happened. Now, I'm not telling you that's impossible, but it is pretty convenient, isn't it? That it worked out that way, that, hey, when it was time to radio for help, we couldn't radio for help. But when the guy's already been shot, all of a sudden, radio works. Fascinating. Fascinating. And that brings me to this point. I do not know what happened in that alley that night. There are three people who know. One is Justin Barassa. Justin Barassa is no longer with us to tell his story. The other one is a police officer who did not say a word to the SIU. Now, that's his legal right. I think that's ridiculous, legisla- that's ridiculous legislation, but that is part of this. The other person who knows is witness officer one. And the details that I've shared with you, the story that I've shared with you, is the story that witness officer one is telling and told the SIU. So, of the three people who were alive that night, we have someone who's not talking, someone who's told a story that I think kindly, I can kindly say the story seems flawed. You might go further than that if you want. And the other person is no longer alive. So I don't think we know what the truth is of what happened that night. Does the truth incriminate one or both of these officers? I have no idea, but I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. Now, some might say to me, Craig, some of the SIU's report says there was interactions between Justin Brass and the police at 344. That's, before, that's well before the officer got on the radio and announced that Justin Brass had been shot at 351. Uh, yeah, that was from one of the businesses, the cameras from one of the businesses near where this occurred. The timing is off because all the other cameras show Justin Barassa still alive at 349. There's no way that 344 is when these interactions began. Justin Barassa at 349, based on multiple cameras in the area, hadn't even begin conver- began conversing with the police yet. So there's no way he was talking at 344. Thir- further to that, the camera angles that we saw from that business would show that there was some interaction between the police and Justin Barassa. They were guiding him towards the wall, but there was nothing in that footage that shows Barassa choking anyone, being aggressive, being violent, or anything else described by the officers to the SIU that goes on in that 25 to 30 seconds that we can't see what was going on and there allegedly wasn't any choking. There was 80 plus seconds in total, but remember, 45 of them were used for the purposes of choking and five to six seconds on my math would be used for the purposes of getting to your feet, going to the radio and telling people that shots have been fired. Again, that's just ballparking, but it's very clear that we're talking about at most, at most, what, 35 seconds? of interaction that apparently led to someone getting shot with no pepper spray, no baton, no taser. That's what we have here. That's what we know occurred. And further to that, Justin Barassa, pretty athletic guy. He was a tennis player. And there's a foundation, I've talked about this in the podcast before, in his memory to help kids play tennis in Sarnia. Justin Barassa's family has done some pretty incredible work there, so, so, so great for them. But Justin Brassa, as much as he was an athletic guy, the guy wasn't an MMA fighter, was he? Are we really supposed to believe he got the upper hand on two London police officers 
for 45 seconds to a minute where he's able to choke out one to the point of nearly passing out while another was not able to get him off of the other officer in any way? Are we really supposed to believe that's what happened here? I think that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because you would think the other officer would get out a baton and say, all right, you got to stop choking my, my partner here. But that, as far as we can tell, isn't what happened. You would think the other officer would tell the people involved, well, I was trying to pull him off. It just didn't quite work. He was a really strong guy. That's not in this report. Not that I can see. There's nothing in this report of, oh, yeah, I tried to pull Barras off there, but I couldn't do it. That's not in there. It's interesting to wonder what subject officer was up to during the time in which the choking was going on. What were you doing for that 45 seconds to a minute, other officer, while your partner was getting choked? Just getting your gun out and making sure that you had a really nice aim? I have no idea what you were up to. But it seems weird that you didn't tell anyone. Seems strange. So we're not going to get the truth in what happened here from the SIU report. I don't know what happened that night, but I know what the SIU report has in it is not the truth. At the very least, it stretches the bounds of believability, does it not? So we're not getting the truth. So where is the truth going to come from? That brings us to the aforementioned civil case. Because if we're getting the truth here, this is where it's going to come from. So Lorraine Barassa filed this at the end of last month. She's seeking $3.9 million in total as of now. Here is what's in the notice of action on behalf of Justin Barras's estate, which Lorraine is managing, seeking damages in the amount of $2 million for negligence, false arrest, false imprisonment, assault, battery, misfeasance in public office, intentional infliction of mental suffering and negligent supervision. Punitive damages in the amount of $500,000. Aggravated and exemplary damages in the amount of $500,000. That, again, is for the estate. This is for Lorraine herself. $500,000, this is pretty standard in the legal realm. $500,000 for the loss of care, guidance, companionship that she may have reasonably expected to receive from Justin had the conduct not occurred. Punitive damages in the amount of $200,000. Aggravated and exemplary damages in the amount of $200,000 for a total of $3.9 million. There's also an amount to be particularized before trial. So that $3.9 million might go a little bit higher than, than what we've seen. But really the amount of money isn't the, the big story here. The big story here is, are we going to have a legal case that shows how flawed Ontario's special investigations unit is? and a legal case that shows how police officers in this city, in some cases, I think it's very clear, might lack accountability. Brief aside, Dale Carruthers over at London Free Press did a piece on it, and you can find it, that would show you that the witness office, or the subject officer here, the, the, the officer that shot Justin Barassa, had previously been investigated by the SIU for use of a firearm on a suspect. Now that person survived what happened and I'm not sitting here and telling you that that case, there was a flawed result. Based on my reading of that case, there isn't anything that jumps off the page is instantly not believable. Of course, it's a little bit different when the person who gets shot is still alive. 
Either way, this is an officer who had been using guns. He used guns here on suspects a couple of times. I think that's relevant to our conversation. So here's what's in the nature of the claim. Here's what's written there on the notice of action that I was telling you about. Talks about Justin Brassa being 29 when he was killed. Shot point blank in the neck by a male officer of the London Police Service. This incident was witnessed by another male London Police Service officer. Shortly before 4 a.m. on the 28th, as we've just discussed, officers were dispatched to respond to an alleged suspicious person and break and enter call. Two officers encountered Justin, who happened to be in the vicinity. Justin was not involved in the incident that led to the LPS response. He had no weapon, no alcohol, or no other drugs in his system. That's key. He had no weapons, no drugs, no alcohol. That's part of this, of course. He was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's the right from the nature uh, of the claim in this notice of action. Just before 4 a.m., Justin was stopped by two officers in a pedestrian corridor. Officers detained Justin, confirmed he was without weapons, and proceeded to arrest Justin for breaking under absent reasonable grounds. That's an important part of this, too. And the other thing is, and this is pretty relevant, the break and enter that they were arresting or at least attempting to arrest Justin Barassa for didn't happen. No one broke into anything. That's part of this conversation, too. Mere seconds later, one LPS officer shot Justin point blank in the neck. Absent any reasonable apprehension or concern for safety, there was no evidence of other forms of intervention such as taser, pepper spray, or baton. Yeah, we just went over that. So that's in the, that's in the notice of action, too. The pathologist determined that Justin died from gunshot wounds to the neck and chest at near contact through clothing. So you can tell by the gunpowder on Justin's clothes that this was a very, very close shooting, close range. The incident was witnessed by one other London Police Service officer. There's no video footage of the incident. London Police does not use body cameras or cameras in police vehicles. Uh, that's something that Chief Tytrong wants to change, as you've probably seen in the media. But... In October of 2021, certainly not the case. It's not even the case here in November of 2023. The subject officer claims that Justin put the officer in a rear naked chokehold for approximately 45 to 60 seconds, only let go when he was shot in the neck. The SIU obtained the subject officer's photo evidence and medical records, neither of which provided any evidence of injury to the officer's neck. There are other things in here about, you know, uh, where Justin was from and things along those lines. Uh, I will note this line, the plaintiff Lorraine Barassa is a recently widowed retired teacher who currently resides in Sarnia. Miss Barassa is the mother and state trustee of Justin Barassa. As will be pleaded with greater particularity in the statement of claim, Mrs. Barassa claims Family Law Act damages for the loss of Justin's guidance, care, and companionship. So there's more legal paperwork to come here is the short version of that. I do want to mention that Justin's father, Jean-Marc, passed away in the spring. Uh, and uh, my, my condolences to Lorraine Barassa and, and Justin's sisters for what happened there and, and everyone who knew John Mark Barassa, who from what I understand was a, a veterinarian. It's, uh, it's very sad that uh, the, this family had to deal with what happened with Justin and then a year and a half later have to deal with, with, with John Mark's passing. Here's another interesting part from the statement, uh, or from the notice of action, rather. We don't have the statement of claim yet. The defendants... Officers John Doe, plural, are residents of the province of Ontario and were at all material times employed as officers with London Police Service. The plaintiffs plead that the police defendants were involved in the detention and subsequent homicide, their word, of Justin Barassa. 
The police defendants intentionally killed Justin without justification or cause. In the alternative, the police defendants recklessly and or negligently applied force to Justin, thereby causing his death. The identities of the police defendants are known to the defendants and remain unknown to the plaintiff. As will be pleaded with greater particularity in the statement of claim, the plaintiff pleads that the police defendants acting individually and or collectively committed torts of negligence, false arrest, false imprisonment, assault, battery, malfeasance of public office, and intentional infliction of mental suffering. I want to be very clear that these statements have not been tested in a courtroom. Of course, this has all just been filed. But subsequent homicide of Justin Barrasso was not me saying that. That is in the notice of action, which again, has not been tested in a courtroom. Nonetheless, the term homicide right there in the statement of action. Do with that information what you will. But that's what they seem to believe happened. Or reckless behavior or negligent behavior. That's what the people representing Lorraine Barassa have put in this notice of action. And then they explain why they're suing Ty Trong, Stephen Williams. I suspect that the reason Ty Trong is involved in this is because he's the current chief, so they have to put him in for whatever legal reason. He did not become chief of police in London until May of this year. So obviously he was working in New York region when this happened, so they don't have any belief that he would have been involved in that. But that's what's in the notice of action. And then Steve Williams is in there who was chief of police at the time of this and the London Police Services Board. And if you want to sue London Police, you're supposed to sue the the Police Services Board. That's how it all works. So there's other things in there, but that's the main important notes about what happened and what's going on with the notice of action. And this is why I'm going to be following it closely. I think it's very clear that the SIU their investigation here came down to looking at some surveillance footage, came down to looking at a couple of medical reports, including Barassa's, came down to essentially, let's be honest, playing stenographer for witness officer one. That's what the SIU did here. And then moving along, saying everything's fine here. Everything's A-OK. And the London Police Services Board seem to be on board with this. What else do you say? How else do you read this? Because what we, the public, were provided when it comes to Justin Barras's death does not make logical sense. The timing doesn't make sense. What was Witness Officer 1 doing for the 45 seconds to a minute? Uh, Or excuse me, what was Subject Officer doing for the 45 seconds to a minute when Witness Officer 1 was being choked? There's no explanation for anything like that. Plus, there was never actually a break-in. Now, as far as I know, and I have nothing that would lead us otherwise, witness officer one and subject officer weren't aware that there wasn't a real break-in. But nonetheless, they were arresting a guy for something that, not only something that he didn't do, but something that never happened. There wasn't a break-in to arrest Justin Barassa for. Didn't exist. Not a thing. So if we're going to get actual accountability here, if we're going to get the truth in this case, because I don't think we have it, and I think that if you read the SIU's report and you are of sound mind and apply logical consistency, you would agree with me on that, that we don't have the truth yet, whatever it is. We're going to have to get it in a civil way. So here we go, civil lawsuit. 
that's the that the ball is rolling on this. I want to note one other thing. This is right again from the notice of action. I read this line earlier. I'm going to read it again because I want to highlight it. The identities of the police defendants are known to the defendants and remain unknown to the plaintiff. Lorraine Barassa does not know the name of the person who shot her son. Lorraine Barassa does not know the name of the witness who actually spoke to the SIU about her son's death. She doesn't know. So as the legal process continues, she's going to find out. That's how this works. But to have such a culture of secrecy in this province that a police officer can shoot a suspect for the second time in the space of a few months, and even the family of the person who he shot the second time doesn't get to know who it is, that's the type of secrecy we want to encourage here? I don't know if that's how we want to do things. I think that's another strike against the SIU here. The first podcast I did about this situation. The main crux of the takeaway was the SIU system is broken and needs to be fixed. And what better evidence could I put forward on that than Lorraine Marassa can read an SIU report about her son being killed and she can talk to whoever it is at the SIU that makes these choices and she still doesn't get to know the names of the police officers who were there when her son died or there when her son got shot. Justin didn't die until about a half hour or so, a little less than that, after this had occurred. He, of course, lost a lot of blood. He had been shot. How is that system fair or correct that you can shoot someone provide, or at the very least your partner, provides a highly questionable story about it. And even the mother of the person you shot doesn't get to know who you are. That doesn't scream accountability to me. And I think that shows you what's wrong with the SIU. The other thing that's wrong with the SIU, and I'm not blaming the people who work at the SIU for this. This is a legislative problem. So I'm blaming Doug Ford, Kathleen Wynn, Dalton McGinty, all the way back here. The subject officer, the officer who shot Justin Barassa in the neck, point blank, didn't have to say a word to the SIU. Didn't even have to answer a single question. This is the second time that officer had been involved in a shooting in the space of, what, three months? And didn't even have to say to anybody, here's why I shot the guy. How is that allowed? In what other situation... Are you allowed to shoot somebody? And then if someone asks you why you did it, you don't have to say anything and there's no legal consequences for that. In what world does that happen to anyone else? That needs to change. That needs to be fixed because what we're doing here is no good. What we're doing here badly needs to change. Badly needs to change. And maybe this is the case that makes it happen. I, I, I'm, I know I'm being naive. But let's just say Lorraine Barassa takes this all the way to the end of the line. And she wins. And you know what? She probably has a chance. Andre Moran, the former ombudsman here in the province of Ontario, called the SIU a toothless tiger. That's going to show you that, hey, maybe that's, that assessment was correct. So I come back to this. I don't know what the truth is in this case. I don't know what justice would be in this case. But I know 
that the truth is not in the public sphere at this point. You and I don't know what the truth is because the story we have been presented feels like at the very least is missing some key facts. And that's the nicest way I can phrase it. And justice to me is there's some level of accountability when someone who is a police officer decides to shoot a person who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we at least get an explanation for why that had to occur. That to me is what justice would be here, or at least part of what justice is. And I hope we get it. I hope there actually is justice in this case. And I hope that we see the truth. But sadly, we may never know what happened in that alley. The truth may never come out. And justice may elude us on this. I hope that's not the outcome. But sadly, it might be what happens. The Craig Needles podcast is available at classicrock981.com and londonnewstoday.ca. You can also find us on your favorite podcast app. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 